What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Well, we're going to talk a lot about coaching on today's episode, and there's a lot to talk about with coaches moving around, Nick Saban hanging it up, Kalen DeBoer going to Alabama. We need to deal with Dan Lanning, Jonathan Smith, and a whole bunch more. I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. I'm with John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group. Find him at pac12hotline.com. Wilner, uh, before we get into the coaching, I want to talk a little bit about the buzz going on in my own household, if, if you don't mind. Um, we got some. There's web- a storm in the Pacific Northwest, and it doesn't relate to what happened in <laughs> yeah. Washington today. Yeah, Kalen DeBoer getting out just uh, in time. I don't know, but we have a we have a cold snap coming in, and it's um, you know as we're recording this episode, it is below freezing. It just dropped below 32 degrees, and it's going to be 16 overnight. The kids in our household are excited because they see some snow, light snow falling, and they're hoping for more snow over the weekend, but. Um, I'm not a snow guy. Are you a snow guy? I, I don't necessarily like the snow. Uh, you know, I am a snow guy. I grew up in the snow back before global warming when it used to snow in Washington, D.C. And uh, No, I do like the snow. And, you know, we go to Tahoe once every couple of years in the snow. And, uh, yeah, it's cool. What I don't like is the slush, mm-hmm. right? Slush stinks. 35 in rain is terrible. Uh but no, I do like the snow. It to me, I never get it. I, we haven't gotten snowed in San Jose in forever. I and I grew up in the Bay Area, and I remember like going. My grandparents lived in Lake Tahoe, and I remember going like to South Lake Tahoe, and going to the snow was fun. But then I lived in the Midwest, and I was covering the Big Ten in the late '90s, and I was living in the snow. I didn't like it so much, and now when it snows here, I kind of, I kind of, you know, scowl. And the kids are all excited. I can hear them like looking, you know, they're squealing and looking out the window. And I'm like, oh, my God, what are we going to do here? But, um, yeah, it's a whole other animal when you live in it because you have to learn to drive yeah. in it and shovel snow and you have to learn how to cope. And uh, we're not – a couple of years ago we had a big uh, cold freeze and it was a, uh, you know, kind of an Arctic blast and it knocked the power out for several days. And so – I went out after that and I got a generator. I haven't used it yet, so maybe, you know, maybe I get a chance to fire up the generator. Who knows? So would you rather have it be 16 degrees or 96 degrees? 96 in a heartbeat. I, I take the oh, heat. Okay. Give me the heat, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you? What about you? Uh, I would probably prefer 16. I didn't used to be that way, but I've I've grown uh I'm much more opposed to the baking heat. Of course, it depends if it's 96 with humidity or without humidity. That's a, that's a big thing. But generally, I'll take it a little on the chilly side. Yeah, our seven-year-old was went to school with short sleeves. And I'm like, it's going to be, when you get out of school, it's going to be like 30 degrees. Like, you know, what are you doing? But she's like, I don't care. But that's that's kids. Um, we'll see what happens there. But let's talk about the, the other storm. Um I mean, let's, let's just go with the dominoes as they fell. Can we start with Nick Saban hanging it up? Six national championships at Alabama, whole bunch of wins. Um, did it catch you by surprise? Does it make sense to you? What, what was your reaction when you heard Saban leaving Alabama? I mean, it makes sense only in that he's 72, and you figured it had to happen at some point. But what surprised me is that their season ended on 
uh, January 1st, right, in the Rose Bowl. So once we got through last week without him retiring, then I kind of just figured, all right, he's he's going to be back to it. So that was that was the surprising piece. But, I mean, the guy is, you know, he's the best college coach in history. Uh, it is remarkable what he's done in this era when it is so hard to to win championships. Uh, and he has done it over and over. Incredible coaching tree. Uh, just, uh, it's just crazy to think about his success. A three, 10 and three is a bad year, a terrible <laughs> year at Alabama. Well, he, you know, I think he did a really good job this season in getting his team in position to compete for the playoff and make the playoff and play Michigan in the Rose Bowl. And so, and you've also heard him in the last two years, we've heard him repeatedly talk about NIL and the transfer portal, you know, like, um, like a lot of us who are looking at it going, I'm not sure I like everything I see. And so I think in that sense, it makes, it makes, uh, it makes a lot of sense. I reached out to a couple of the power four coaches that, that I text with. And I, and I said, what do you make of Saban? And they said, he's getting, one said he's getting out at the right time. Another said, I think he will no longer, he knows he will no longer have the overwhelmingly best team. And I had another one say that NIL has been around for a long time in certain conferences. Now it's become <laughs> national. And do you think it has to do with the playing field leveling, his age, the portal, the, all of that maybe? I think it's probably all that, yeah. I mean, it is a different sport than it was even five years ago with NIL. And five years from now, it's going to be that much more different too because you know players are going to get paid. There's going to be revenue sharing. Uh, we may have you know, a, a football subdivision with the top 40 or 50 teams based on what the NCAA is proposing. The sport is changing with remarkable speed. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, I think all that. Now, if he were 62 and dealing with NIL, I don't think it would be uh, as big a deal. But when you're 72, yeah, probably is. And and more teams can compete now because, you know, it. You know, if you've got donors that are willing to spend money, uh, you can get players through NIL. The 12 hours after Saban leaves, it, it becomes the Dan Lanning show, at least in my neighborhood. And, you know, a lot of Oregon fans anxious over Lanning. Would he leave? Would he consider it? He goes dark all Wednesday. Um, you know, he later says that he was watching a movie with his kid. His phone was blowing up. You know, he's had to come out twice and say, for the Texas A&M job and the Auburn job in his first year, had had to come out twice and basically say, I'm not going anywhere, I'm happy. He waited until Thursday morning, 9 a.m. And, you know, I was supposed to talk to him on Wednesday morning. And he said, I'll call you in a few. Never heard from him. Thursday morning early, he says, I'll have something at 9 a.m. And then Dan Lanning at 9 a.m. posts that video where he basically says, you know, if your coach is you're worried about your coach leaving, you know, Oregon's coach isn't leaving. I'm, you know, I'm in this, you know, I, I have the best in, in, you know, the, in the country, I think. And, you know, he posts that at nine and then he jumps on ESPN and the Pat McAfee show and Oregon capitalizes with a marketing bonanza. And I don't even know if Lanning was even contacted about the job. You know, I, I don't know how serious a candidate he was, but you know, Oregon takes a win there and Lanning gets a victory lap. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one question I have is, did he just get out ahead of it uh, and and say he's staying in Oregon 
knowing that he wasn't even going to get offered the job. We don't we don't know that he was on their short list. We certainly don't know if he was ahead of Kalen DeBoer. I mean, if to me, both of those guys had neither of them was the ideal candidate, right? If you're if you're Alabama looking at it, you you look at DeBoer and you wonder, he's never been in the South. Is it is it a good fit culturally, personality? If you're looking at Lanning, you're thinking he's he's been a head coach for two years. The sample size is small. Um, and DeBoer beat him three times. So to me, uh, just guessing, you know, DeBoer was at the top of their list. Lanning, Lanning knew it, knew he wasn't going to want to be in a position where he was, uh, you know, a candidate as the third or fourth choice. So he took the smart, proactive approach and, and got out before – there was really any getting in. So to me, that was smart. And the other thing to that we should touch on is, you know, Oregon's decision was it last summer to give him a contract extension and, and that huge buyout. Now, I don't know that that would have played a role in whether he had left for Alabama if the Crimson Tide had wanted to hire him. But certainly you got to give Rob Mullins credit for just being super proactive and seeing that buyouts are going to be important in the coaching carousel world. And they had been burned. You know, they had been burned on the Willie Taggart buyout was too small. Mario Cristobal was too small. They had, uh, you know, I think Rob Mullins had been burned a couple of times. And so that, you know, we redid Lanning's deal after, at the end of his first year. He gave him more, he gave him a little more security, but he gave him an absolute monster of, of a buyout. Here's what Dan Lanning said on my show um, as he talked about, I asked him about NIL collectives. How much does the collective play a role in, in you know, because I'm thinking about Oregon with Division Street. They are uniquely positioned, right? Here's what Lanning said on my show so on 750 The Game. the buying power or the impact of Division Street have in making Oregon a great job? It all, it all makes it a great job. And if you're missing any part right now, which I think is what, certain schools are running into is like, well, we want to, we need more money for NIL. So we're going to not commit to facilities. We need, you know, uh, we're going to have a great staff and we're just going to get players that want to come play for the love of the game. And I think every coach would love to say that's what they're going to get. Um, but that's not reality. So, um, you know, we have a great structure here. We have a system in place that everyone else outside is trying to say, Hey man, how do we see what they're doing there? How do they do it so well? Um, but we, it's, it's more about people than anything. And we have the people here that have a vision, um, of what they want this place to look like and how can they be a part of it? Like there's so many people that want to make this place a better place. And when you have all that, um, you, you get a chance to check every box. And we're one of the schools in the nation that checks every box right now. We're not content with staying the same. We're trying to figure out how we can be better. We always talk about growth mindset around here and we're trying to figure out, you know, how do we grow? How do we get better? Um, we're not where we want to be yet, but we're positioned to be in as good a place as anybody. What do you make of that? Is 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 that a better job than Alabama? I, I don't, you know, I'm not ready to go there, but that collective sure makes you think. It does, and and it is interesting the 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 NIL situation in Alabama, right? That they, they don't have the same level of NIL dollar commitment that other places do, you know, especially like a Georgia or Texas A&M, but they were able to get away with it because all the players wanted to play for Saban. Saban was the 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 discount basically. Um and and so now we'll see and that's to me that's a big issue for DeBoer when he gets to Tuscaloosa is 
how energized will Alabama donors be to up their NIL game? Uh, whereas Oregon is a great example of a school that's rolling on that front. And I, you know, I listen to Lanning, and to me, I, I kind of just put it against the backdrop of how well positioned is Oregon for life in the Big Ten, which means how well is positioned is Oregon to compete with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and USC, and Washington, right? And I think the Ducks are in, you couldn't, if you're an Oregon fan, you couldn't ask for them to be in a better position than they are right now for, for next season. Yeah, and I think Landing knows that, and I think he's got security. He also mentioned his three sons. His oldest son has lived in eight different cities, and and they have this idea that they want the kids to graduate from the same school. But i got to be honest with you. like I, When I had him on my show yesterday, I we were talking, and I said to him, I believe you when you say you're not going anywhere because now you've turned down Alabama or maybe you've said you're not interested in Alabama. And we don't know if he got offered the job or even talked to. But um, I think he's got one of the good jobs, and he knows it. And now I'm wondering, Kalen DeBoer leaves Washington for uh, Alabama. Let's – First, say, does this say anything in your mind to Washington or about Washington when Kalen DeBoer says, hey, I just went to the title game, but I'm going over there now? No, well, I mean, no. I think it says a lot about DeBoer because I'm not sure how many coaches are willing, would be willing to follow in Saban's shoes, right? I mean, that is, you're following the greatest coach of all time in a fishbowl. That is, you know, that takes guts. Uh, so I, it's interesting. I think Oregon is better prepared than Washington for for life in the Big Ten. Did that play? Did did Washington's you know institutional commitment or lack thereof seep into DeBoer's thinking? Maybe I, I don't know. But I I do find the dynamic between those two schools. I've always found it super interesting. Right, the last fifteen years, Oregon has been much more all in with football success than Washington has. And that manifests itself in a lot of ways. But I look at, to me, Oregon and USC are at one level in terms of football commitment. And Washington and UCLA have been at a different level. And it kind of tracks a little bit with how the dynamic between Michigan and Ohio State, because for a long time, Ohio State was much more committed. And so it seemed for fo- to football success than Michigan was. Now that's changed the last few years. Michigan is clearly all in with winning, but you can see there are subtle differences. Even though those programs are all kind of elite and and we group them together in a lot of ways, institutionally as football is concerned, they are a little bit different. And I do wonder if if DeBoer looked at Washington and thought, I'm not sure it's going to get any better than this. I don't know what our potentials like in the big big 10 uh so i'm gonna leave for alabama i don't know he also got a taste of the big 10 the top of the big 10 when he played michigan and he got out rushed and out physical and i kind of wonder if in his mind you know you look at the last three pacific time zone teams to play for the national championship 20 2015 national title game oregon 20 uh 2011 bcs title game oregon and washington uh here this season and those those three teams got outrushed 853 to 253. They got outrushed by 600 yards. And so I kind of wonder if Kalen DeBoer, he doesn't have Michael Penix Jr. coming back. He knows the physicality. He, you know, it's not 
the Tyee Club and the University of Washington, they, they're solid, but they're not Division Street in Oregon. Does going to the SEC and being in Alabama present a better or possible better advantage for Kalen DeBoer than than being at Washington and being for you know being viewed as the number three, four, or five team in the Big Ten. I, I just don't know what math he was using there, but I am fascinated. Yeah. This is a guy who's had success everywhere he's gone, Fresno yep. State and, and uh, Washington in the last two stops. His record is amazing, um, but let's see if he can do what maybe Nick Saban was, was worried about doing. Well, the other thing is, though, which is, a, which is the easier path to a national championship? I'd argue being in the Big Ten is. I mean, Ohio State, Michigan are two big obstacles, but I mean, in the you got Texas, Oklahoma, Georgia, LSU. I mean, think about how many schools in the in the SEC have won or played for the national championship in the last fifteen years, right? I mean, Texas and Oklahoma both have. Uh, LSU's won it. Auburn's won it. Florida's won it. Georgia, obviously. I mean, that is going to be a tough road for DeBoer, I think, uh, and. That's one of the reasons I, that I wondered if if he might just take $9 million a year and stay at Washington and, and you know, try to finish in the top two or three of the Big Ten and, and get in the playoff. I also have to, you have to consider that Jen Cohen, the AD that hired him at Washington, is not there anymore. She's at yep. USC. Um, I think you and I had a very similar thought as DeBoer was kind of in that, you know, uh, in that period on Thursday night where he was scheduled to do the KJR radio interview on Friday morning. It gets canceled. He's not going to appear. I saw a tweet from you. I had the same about Jonathan Smith, uh, the Oregon State coach, that he would have been ideal for the University of Washington. Like, that's the guy that is plug and play. He makes sense for that. But he he and his agent, um, I think they jumped the gun, Wilner, and they take this Michigan State job. I don't think it's a better job than Washington. Oh, it's not at all. Michigan State is a mid-level job. I I think that Smith, there's a good chance Smith is going to kind of disappear off the radar. You know, he wins, maybe wins eight one year and seven and then five or six, and he's going to get lost in the shuffle or lost in the machinery of the Big Ten. Uh, Whereas if he had stayed, who knows? You know, he certainly would be in line for the Washington job. That'd be a no-brainer. And even if DeBoer hadn't left, you know, there would have been another opportunity this year. Next, what do you think happened there? I mean, you have got great insight into Smith and his thinking. Was it just like a panic move? You think? I think he was not happy about being relegated or possibly to the Mountain West. Not happy about being left out of the Big Ten. Was concerned about you know his ability to compete for national championships at Oregon State and the collective at Oregon State is not a game changer uh, you know damnation you know there it's the little engine that that could right and that's the mentality that Oregon State has and you talk about you know wrapped up in all of this there's a bigger conversation about loyalty Jonathan Smith on his way out of t- town in Corvallis drops all of his Oregon State gear at Goodwill and so you've got all this Goodwill equipment with Smith's name like sewn into the tags on the shirts and the jackets. And it's like, that's your alma mater. And it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But I definitely think that he and his agent were, the minute they knew Washington State and Oregon State were not going to the Big Ten or the Big 12, I think they began to look at opportunities. And I think they grabbed the first, you know, the the first port in the storm. And and I th- if they had waited, and I think we had this conversation when he took the job where we both said, Gosh, I would have waited. I thought you could do better. And 
and, and he did not. And now I'm looking like, what's his buyout? It's seven million at Michigan State. So yeah. you know, maybe Washington pays the seven million buyout, and Jonathan Smith ends up at Washington anyway. But well, has he or has he even signed the deal? Yeah, right? or that, is it that just that a too. term sheet. Well, and the other interesting contrast too is. You know, DeBoer, or, yeah, DeBoer hired Jimmy Sexton, the most powerful agent in the sport during the season. And I do, I wonder, one, you know, uh, if Sexton probably suspected there was a chance that Saban was going to retire. And is that why, you know, he kind of delayed the negotiations with, with UW? Uh, I wonder, too, if Smith had hired, had a different agent, if it would have... Yeah. Worked out differently. Well, you know how that went. Uh, Smith used to have Jimmy Sexton as an agent. And uh, Clint Dowdle, who worked for Jimmy Sexton, he was at his agency, split away and created his own agency. And and Dowdle split away from CAA, where Sexton was, and went out on his own. And Jonathan Smith went with Dowdle. And so I kind of just wonder, did, did Jonathan pick the wrong agent? Does he feel like he picked the right agent? Like, I, you know, I don't... I had that last conversation with Smith right days before he accepted the job and he basically said my agent better be out there doing his job i'm paying that guy a yep. percentage you know of a couple million bucks a year and you know he better be doing his job and now i'm kind of wondering like you know jimmy sexton has you know what like 11 of the sec coaches now maybe yeah. 12 under uh as clients it you know if he has jonathan smith does he see the uh the moves does he is he able to see around the corner so to speak so right what, what does Washington do now? Uh, I have a well, couple of thoughts. I want to hear too. yours. Here's the other piece to Smith, and then then we'll move on. But we knew even back in the middle of the season, there was a chance Jim Harbaugh, Harbaugh was going to leave Michigan because they had all those scandals. And it made a lot of sense that DeBoer would take the Michigan job. So that was also a potential way for Smith to get to UW. It wasn't just about would DeBoer potentially take over for Saban in Alabama, it was the likelihood that Michigan was going to open and DeBoer would be the number one candidate there and Smith could get to Seattle that through that path. So the whole thing, I just, I just find the whole thing absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's probably, it's obviously not over as Washington has to make a hire. We may still see Michigan open up. Um, obviously there are some coaches out there that got raises and got some job security as the Alabama o job opened, yep. but what do the Huskies do, Wilner? Well, I think their first question is they've got to decide if they're going to promote Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator, play caller, you know, the guy. If they want continuity, that's the move, right? He has been with DeBoer at Washington, at Fresno. I think he even coached with him at, at uh, Sioux Falls, right, NAIA. But clearly that is the, the continuity piece. But then again, they tried that – what, four years ago, right? Chris Peterson announces he's stepping down and they promote Jimmy Lake. Now, I'm not saying Grubb is Lake, but I am saying if you're UW President Anamari Kause, you do have to at least give some thought to the risk of hiring, uh, promoting with it from within to a, someone who's never been a head coach before, right? Now, I don't know Grubb, but and I'm not saying Grubb and Lake are the same at all, but I'm just saying that is probably part of their calculation. And maybe they maybe they give him the job. And if they don't, I would think he's going to follow DeBoer to Tuscaloosa. Is he better at Washington or is he better going to Tuscaloosa 
and having success there. And, you know, then does he become, you know, a potential uh, SEC coach or does he get a better job than Washington? I mean, I mean there's a there's a question there. Um, a name that I saw come up, if it's not Grubb in, in if Washington goes outside, what about Cliff Kingsbury? Huh, that's interesting. I mean, he didn't do great at Texas Tech. That's the thing. I mean, they scored 40, but they gave up 50. It's kind of like Lincoln Riley in some yeah. regards. So, I mean, he certainly, you know, if they want to keep keep humming on offense, that's that's a move to make. But, boy, I don't know. That, that, Arizona, that's a, that's Jed Fish? Do you do Jed Fish? Jed Fish, you got to look at Jed Fish probably if you're Washington, right? But then, again, you, the sample size thing I keep getting back to – Fish has been a head coach for three years. He's got one winning season. Now, he's done a great job in Tucson. Great job. And he almost beat Washington. But he's got one winning season. The guy I wonder about is uh, Lance Leopold at Kansas. Right? He won at multiple Division II titles at Wisconsin Whitewater. He then went to Buffalo and won 10 games in the MAC with Buffalo. And then he goes to Kansas and they just won nine games. You never win nine games at Kansas, mm-hmm. right? That's unheard of. So Leopold's won at three different levels of the game, and that is a lot like DeBoer, who won NAIA at Sioux Falls, then he won at Fresno, and then he won at Washington. And there's something to be said for hiring guys that have won at multiple levels of the sport. I wonder, um, you know, Grubb obviously would be target one. That helps you retain at least some offensive players, and it, it keeps your fan base engaged. But I wonder uh, how soon Washington will move, how quickly. You've got to do that because of the portal these days, and I'll be interested to see what Kalen DeBoer does. But, um, you know, there's also, in the background of it, you know, Dan Lanning had a Washington problem. Does he have a Washington problem today, or does this solve it? I know. I was wondering how, you know, the celebrations in Eugene and Pullman are probably going to rage into the night, don't you think? Yeah, that, but there's also, like, I actually think, like, the Oregon State and Washington State fans who are dismayed over what happened to their programs, they're trying and hoping that it's going to be okay where they are with the money they got. And then Oregon State watching Jonathan Smith leave and. Oregon fans having gone through Chip Kelly leaving, Willie Taggart leaving, Mario Cristobal leaving, they were certainly anxious when Lanning's name came up in these other jobs. And now Washington, like, there's a loyalty thing in the background of this. And maybe Lanning's the outlier, but we all know he's being loyal in part because he's got a really good job. Like coaches, in, and I'm left thinking about Pete Carroll too. Coaches, they're in a cruel business. Like Pete Carroll wins a Super Bowl in Seattle. He's the best coach the Seahawks have ever had. And he's crying at his news conference, 71 years old. And because his his ownership group, is they're a bunch of idiots, and they, they fire the guy, and they treat him poorly. Do the coaches have to do what's best for the coaches? Is there any loyal, true loyalty anymore, Wilner? Well, it's tough to find, isn't it? I mean, look at, I mean, Jonathan Smith. It's. I think the the lack of loyalty works both ways too, right? So, w- chicken and egg thing. You know, do, are the coaches do they lack loyalty because they know that you know their universities or their NFL owners are are not going to be loyal? I, I don't know, but it's 
it seems like there is even less than there was 10 years ago, right? It's And that also is part of the reason why we're seeing all this chaos. It's almost like a self-fulfilling cycle, right? Because the lack of loyalty with the coaches is part of the reason that we have the transfer portal. Because you can't say to the players, you can't leave without sitting out when your coach can leave whenever he wants. And so then they create the transfer portal to kind of create a balance and and, and a, a proper method of player of movement for the players. And all the transfer portal stuff does is, is get some coaches to think, you know what, I'm tired of this. I want to leave. So it's just, and it's getting worse. The whole thing's getting worse. Yeah. It's getting worse. And I don't like it. And there's parts of it I really don't like. And I also thought it was interesting when the Alabama job opened up that, you know, as Deion Sanders success at Colorado after three or four weeks this season, you would have thought had the Alabama job opened then, he's the guy, right? Like, they, they usher him in. Why wasn't Coach Prime more of a candidate for Greg Byrne in Alabama? They, they made a, a very different hire. I am not. Well, yeah, they, they the, a polar opposite hire. I don't know for sure, but I would guess that, you know, one, uh, again, you get back to sample size, right? He, Dion's been a head coach at power conference level one year and he went four and eight. Now he did do some good work, but he went four and eight, uh, in his only season. Plus you got all the other stuff that comes with Dion. And I just wonder if they were a little bit nervous, but the Dion, to me, the Dion piece is, you know, if Alabama, Colorado fans probably had a reason to be nervous there for a little while. Cause if Alabama had hired Mike Norvell, all of a sudden, the Florida State jobs open, and there would have been immense pressure in Tallahassee to hire Dion, right? So this thing has got tentacles or had the potential for tentacles touching, what, four or five different Pac-12 schools. Yeah, and it's not done. I mean, if the Michigan job opens, look out. And obviously, oh, it's going to open. Washington could make a hire. and He gone. Yeah. He's gone. <laughs> does, where's, does Pete Carroll end up at Washington? Is he a candidate there? Does he oh, end up, man. you know, as two-year staff? Can you yeah. imagine? <laughs> I mean, Carroll, you know, you could argue that Carroll, other than Saban and Belichick, maybe Andy Reid, Carroll's the best coach of this century, you know, at, at the top two levels of the sport. Guy's a, a phenomenal coach. Won multiple national championships and a Super Bowl. I mean, if you're if you're a dub you probably need to put out a feeler right to Carol. Just, I have no idea. I doubt he'd want it. Right. But it can't hurt. Just like you probably got to put out a feeler to see if Jonathan Smith would rip up his term sheet with Michigan state. I mean, any, everything has got to be on the table for the Huskies, but the Carol thing, Carol and DeBoer in the same week in Seattle. That's nuts. Yeah. They were spinning. And uh, I happened to be on air on KJR doing a radio hit when the news of DeBoer broke. And so it was just interesting to kind of be uh, in the middle of that reaction. Monday, Washington's, you know, at some point in the third quarter, right? Washington's within seven points of Michigan in the national championship game. And now it's Friday and they're picking up the pieces, just like with Oregon State, right? There was one point in mid-November, Oregon State was eight and two. And then they lose to Washington, they lose to Oregon, they lose Smith, and it kind of collapses. And that could happen, uh, you know, it could happen with Arizona if Jed Fish leaves. It could happen so quickly these days, and and almost no school is immune from it. You can find my work at johnconzano.com. 
get a free subscription or a paid subscription. Wilner, you can find Wilner at Pac12Hotline.com. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Please share this episode with your friends and family and and uh, give us some feedback. That's how other people find this episode. If you rate it, give it a rating, and make sure you're subscribed. Thanks, everyone.